0: Welcome to a new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. So clearly, I haven't figured out how to perfectly estimate my work, not even close. This is actually our second time that we're going to be discussing estimating. Back in 2021, we spoke how to provide more accurate estimates. I'm not sure exactly how deep we went on this or what exactly we covered, but in this episode, we are going to really dive into how to estimate better and come up with more accurate estimates. So hopefully we give more information or do a better job than episode 124. But hey, we'll see what happens. Let's give introductions of today's panelists. Stacey, you want to
1: start it off? Sure. Stacey London, Principal Frontend Front End and Engineer at Atlassian.
2: Jem Young, engineering manager at Netflix.
3: Yeah, Gus and software engineer at Twitch. And I'm Ryan
0: Burgess. I'm a engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that, if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we'll all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is?
1: Planning. Planning.
0: Planning. All right, so let's plan to take some drinks. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so bad. All right, I'd be curious how each of you approach estimates for your work.
2: Do you remember those? Um, I think they're from the 80s. You know those magic eight balls? You <laughs> shake them? Yep. And they give you an answer. it works that's today, right? One. Yeah, yeah. Someone's like, how long is it going to take, Jim? I'm like, see what the eight ball says. And I shake it. And it's like, not sure. So I, I usually give them a not sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, if it's really important, they'll come back and ask me again. So that's I was nice going
0: to say, how time. long does that not sure last, right? Like it might hold up for... Okay, I'll give Jem some time to think about this, but I'm going to come back and ask. And so, yeah, you got to shake that eight ball the second time, right?
2: Well, no, no. So I have a whole escalating series of uh, events that goes into estimates. So if they come back a second time after I give them the eight ball, I say, oh, okay, you want Esmit? Why don't you follow Jira for that? Here's a link to my Jira board. <laughs> and then, you know, I wait. And if they follow Jira, then I wait some more for them to follow up again. So this could be a couple of weeks later and they're like, Hey, you get that gear? I'm like, yeah, we're really pruning the backlog, but we'll get right to it. So, you know, maybe a month or two later, I might get a good estimate and by that time. It's probably already done. And that way I've impressed everybody <laughs> They're like, oh, that thing you want an estimate on, it's already done. Yeah. All right. They're like, cool. Wow. Jim, so good. And that's how I do it. End of episode. Goodbye.
0: I know all you're joking here, but. There is actually one thing that I really like that you said there. It's not so much about estimating, but oftentimes people ask you for something or to do something. I really like the, like, put it in a JIRA ticket or can you write something up for it? Because I think sometimes people, it's really easy to say something, right? It's really easy to go, hey, Jem, can you just, like, build this component. And you're like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll go do that. Instead of, hey, what are all the requirements? How are you thinking about this? You're putting a little bit of work on that person. Now it's not helping with your estimates. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, buying you a little bit of time, Jim. So, hey, it's not a bad piece of advice.
2: (laughs) That's not actually how I do estimates, but I would say, um, at least for me as an engineering manager on a platform team, the way I estimate is probably different from the way other people probably, uh, different from Augustus, Stacey and Ryan, how you all do estimates on maybe more product oriented teams. Cause on a platform team, I don't necessarily report to anybody. Like if there's no PM saying like, once you get this done, let's do this. And then we'll do this. And like, there's a whole year planned out. We are the ones that drive, we are our own PMs. We drive our own, uh, planning. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, and we, we drive our own roadmaps and milestones and everything along with that. So. Occasionally there'll be actually not occasionally about half the time. There's, we spend our time doing external asks or so, but those are usually pretty broad because they that's how it is across all platform teams is there's a long curve of understanding to, to understand what the problem is first. And then there's the execution phase. Uh, maybe later I'll talk about hill charts if I haven't already, I, I do love hill charts, um, for, for platform estimations, uh, but. Generally, like in platform, we work in like quarters because the the size of the work we have to do and the amount of technical debt we have to unwind is so great that there's no like, oh, this will take two weeks or we'll do sprints because it just wouldn't work for our case. But I'm curious how the rest of you do estimates.
1: Do you do the, do any of you do, you do the, uh, the swag method?
2: Do you want to explain the swag
0: method, Stacey?
1: Scientific wild ass guess. <laughs> 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 it works, right? <laughs> it works. Yeah, yeah. Just just uh just just pick a number and go with it. You know, it's
0: really funny too like Jem you mentioned like the quarter-based uh, estimates which like I'm very familiar with. Which is funny too is like you and I are both in platform teams. My org actually does have PMs. And so you do orient around like yes, what are we doing for the quarter and trying to plan around that and I I do agree with you that a lot of platform work is often fairly long time. Like it's not just like a few weeks or a month, but sometimes it can be. And I think that going to the quarter, I'm not a fan of because I think there are points where you're like, it's really easy to say, oh yeah, we're going to get that in Q1. When in Q1, it's going to come in Q1. You know what I mean? Like it's not a clear date to people. And even Jem, you mentioned like having stakeholders, right? Like people they do need to know some of these things. And I'm assuming at that point, you're like, yeah, you'll you'll get it in Q2 or it'll be done in Q1, but it doesn't really tell them a lot. And so if you could say, hey, expect it for sometime in March, like that would be a lot clearer. So I think sometimes estimates can get used more than just like the quarter.
3: I guess I'll add my perspectives because I've had to um, provide estimates for a few projects at Twitch and at Evernote. And, and yeah, I think... Um, it really does depend on the project because I think you too I think a few of you kind of alluded to it like depending on let's say the project had a deadline like for whatever reason, like some some other team made some promise to some stakeholder and they now need to hit the state like then that's when we we try to brainstorm okay, what we understand what are the requirements? let's estimate how much work that is. And that, you know, that's a lot of coordination with the engineering. So like I, will, I would partner with like a product manager to understand what the requirements are for the project, try to break it out into technical tasks so that they could be divvied out. And if let's say it didn't hit the date that they needed, that's when, that's when I feel real bad, but the product manager really has to make some choices of can we cut scope? What are some hacky? Sh- I maybe I'll come with some hacky shortcuts we can do. And here's some incurred tech debt that we'll have that we'd like to resolve as a fast follow for the project. Um, so, so yeah, I feel like it really depends, um, depending on the project. Like for some projects that do not have like a strict deadline, you know, they're like, hey, here are the requirements. We don't really mind. We just kind of need to know when it will be done so we can kind of help with the planning you don't necessarily have to go through that phase of like, oh, what are the hacky shortcuts? What are the, um, what are the things we need to cut scope? You might actually even as an engineer, sometimes it's on, we like try to encourage for engineering to push product managers to talk about, well, what's the future of this product look like? And we can kind of anticipate like what future work items we'll need to do. And maybe we can just do those things up front. Um, so yeah that at least that's how that's been my experience so far we, we we also we do do sprints but i'll be honest like i'll when i break it out into technical tasks maybe i'll put some story point estimates and we'll figure out how many sprints that will take and that's how we get to the final date um but i, I would say from my experience we're still very date heavy
1: Yeah, i would say so for, for quite a long time now, I haven't had to do like deadline driven development or date based development, which has been like, I think pretty healthy. I think date based development is really unhealthy or at least in a lot of orgs that do it that way can be really unhealthy. It pushes people to like maybe work crazy long hours and put out shitty work cause they're tired. And I I'm not sure that it's like a healthy way to do software development. Um, I understand why people want dates. I think it's very natural. It's like we're trying to plan. We're trying to figure out what we can do and accomplish as a team. So like, I think there's a lot of good reasons why people want dates. For a long time, I've worked, though, more of like in either like Kanbani or Scrum sort of methodologies where you're kind of you're doing like complexity based estimates or size based estimates, things where you're having like a whole team talk about you know, we're working on building a new feature for a product and we just want to talk about, oh, that seems really complex or like maybe that's a, a, a large t-shirt, t-shirt size. And then you can kind of, based on maybe the makeup of your team, what the skills are, you might have like a certain velocity, like you might be able to get a certain amount of story points done every, and you kind of like watch that over time. And as the team gels and works together and learns about like people's strengths and weaknesses and, and all of those things. Like it's a very, it's not a science. It's like always very kind of specific to the the makeup of the team. And then if you build something similar again, maybe you'll have a better idea of like, Oh, that took us like four sprints last time, or that took us two. Um, Maybe this time it'll take about that. So like there's, ways of doing kind of quote estimation that way, where you're kind of narrowing that scope of uncertainty as you, as you get closer to the thing. And I think the whole idea behind it was like, you don't try and estimate out a six month or year long project when like so many variables change in those six months. Um, and the idea was like, Oh, well if you break it down into tiny pieces and you ship a little piece and you get feedback from customers and then you iterate, like the idea is you build the right thing, um, over time and iteratively. And then that whole figuring out like, oh yes, six months from now on this date, we will deliver this very big piece of software that we're not quite sure works or not. Like you kind of throw that way out and you just go this this other direction. And there's a million blogs online about waterfall versus scrum versus Kanban versus like all these different techniques and, and why they're good or bad. Um, and and really, I think it just it all comes down to the team, and the makeup of the team and the people, how how well they work together, their skills, those kinds of things.
0: I'm definitely a big fan of iterating and learning because, like you're right, there's so many things that change, and you're you're not quite sure if that feature is going to land with your customers or not. To your points on the data driven piece, Stacey, I I definitely agree with you. It can cause some negative like culture uh if you're orienting around a date but i think it it really depends on how you're approaching those dates like i have definitely been a fan of it when you're striving towards a date but being somewhat realistic but even maybe striving to like you know to to hit some milestone right like you're you're aiming for that and I think it's OK if it slips right in that sense, like it's maybe a point where Augustus mentioned it could be where you're like, we're like a month out and I thought I was going to deliver this, but I ran into, you know, three dependencies that I didn't really think of. And that that's actually not it's going it's to push me out two or three weeks or whatever that is, you and the PM or the rest of your team can have a discussion of like, all right, well, we could just push out the date. And land that feature or whatever you're doing a month later or do we start to cut some scope or tra- like there's trade-offs and i think that it can also help produce some of those healthy conversations now where i don't think date driven has been effective or for me personally i've found it very unhealthy is when i worked in agencies because you've put a date to a client real I mean you I'm sure you could go back and ask for more time but that's like not a great look for your company or agency that you're working for and so that's when it really becomes an unhealthy environment because people are working long hours to still land on that date they're not cutting scope because they promised x y and z and you can't cut something out of that and so that has been my most unfortunate time with date driven uh pieces there but I know at Netflix, we've done dates where even when we worked in the product, Gemin, and you and I worked on the same team where we would be like, yeah, I think we can launch that August 15th. And so you would you would kind of rally around that just so that you had to put that out there. And you're like, cool, we can get that out there and, and plan around it. But then you would have those conversations if the date was going to slip or something needed to change. So I think it's like it can be good in some ways. So that it's not just like this open-ended quarterly date, but It's tough.
3: I just want to like, I love how you bring that up, Ryan. Like, I think it's so important to have good communication with your stakeholders, your manager, like, yeah, because some people really, and you know, we, we go off of dates for many reasons at Twitch slash Amazon. And like, it's sometimes it can be intimidating to tell, Hey, I know I said, this is the date, but you know, maybe a requirement was missed or Maybe there was just unforeseen complexity that no one really could have caught. I hope people like have the courage to bring that up because in your, you know, your manager, your PM, like they're, they're there to help you in those kind of situations to help kind of gauge how important is this requirement that we missed? Like, is it something that we actually need to move dates around? Um, Like communication is just so important when it comes to project planning and execution. Because you, it's like there's a reason why it's called an estimate, right? Like, given this perfect world of, yeah, there's nothing else, and we just code this for loop, everything should be good. But then, oh wait, we have to handle this dependency that's twenty, like twenty years old, or something. And yeah, just all these things can happen.
1: We also have like the optimism bias, like that's a, a thing with humans, is we always think we're gonna finish something faster than uh you're we're uh, overly optimistic about our capabilities and our abilities to to work on things and to your point Augustus like not you you can't know like it's not like we're building the same thing over and over and over and over again like if they did they'd automate our jobs away and we wouldn't be here so like it is an estimate meaning like we can't exactly predict it because there are these things that pop up and, and you you just need to talk through it with everybody
0: yeah that's a good point is like our jobs do a lot of similar things, but it's never exactly the same exact problem that you're solving, and so it's really hard to to estimate around that too. Yeah, I think this is hard, but I love that you, Augustus, brought up the communication because I think that is an important factor that people don't necessarily say anything. Like they'll just be like, "All right, I'll I'll spend my entire weekend because I said I would get this done." rather than having a conversation on what's realistic and, you know, thinking about that. I'm also a big fan for like when I've approached estimates, especially coding is not giving an answer right away, right? Like sometimes people give you, ask you that, take some time, to, you know, go dig in, look at some of the things like, you know, and, and I mean, communicate that too, is like, hey, let me get back to you, but like do some of that investigating uh, and planning.
2: Cheers. Cheers. I mean, estimates are helpful for prioritization. I think that's really kind of what we're coming down to is do I have three engineers work on this? Do I have one, do I have five? And that's thinking um, as an engineering manager, like those are the things I care about. I don't, unless there's some sort of marketing driven date, which happens a lot with products where we're saying like, Hey, we're doing a big marketing push on this day. We've already told the press we're going to launch on this day. We need to get it done then. You know, it's all hands on deck. But again, it's about prioritization. That means like, hey, I got to pull people off of this project to work on this. Um, and that's where, that's what I think about when I'm doing estimates is who are the stakeholders here? Is this internally driven or is this externally driven? Are we part of a cross a broader effort where we need to coordinate with other people? Or is this something that, you know, if we get it done this quarter, it's fine. If not, it's fine too because no one else knows and like we're, we're the ones driving it. So it's a lot that goes into uh, estimates, but they are useful. Otherwise, there's no accountability for anything. And like I don't, I don't have this problem on my team. Obviously, I've got a team of great engineers, but there are instances where an engineer is like, hey, are you done with that project yet?" And they're like, "Oh no, you know, I'm still working on it." You're like, "Okay, okay," but you said to get it done. And if you don't like hold them to something, and then uh, like you were saying, Ryan, make them communicate like what's going on each step of the way then there's a problem there and that's what we need to address what we really try to avoid is the i don't know the right word for it but you know the engineer in a corner uh engineers uh we'd love to go into a corner and solve this problem and come back with it all solved and present to everybody and everybody's ooh ah look at them go but in reality like that's really bad for a team for to work, operate like that you need to have like constant transparency like hey how's it going you said that you get this done in q1 it's now uh, March, the end of March. uh, Where is it at? It's like, Oh, we didn't, we didn't deliver it. Like we need to know these things ahead of time. So that's, to me, that's what estimates are all about. And I agree with you, Stacey. I'm not a fan of date driven estimates unless, like I said, there's some external dependencies. Otherwise it just puts needless pressure on, on people. And if there is a date, it needs to be justifiable. It's like, why, why is it this date? Because the CEO said so. Like, you know, I've definitely worked places where the CEO, you know, kind of forced our hand in, in those places. And uh, or is it just an arbitrary day that we can push back if we don't want to incur more technical debt by moving too fast on this particular problem?
1: I like that. I like that idea of like y- using the estimate as just a way to have like good conversations about prioritization. Like, even if you don't do like a date estimate, you can still have those prioritization conversations with like complexity estimates or size based, like I've had good conversations where I've said like, oh, this I think is like kind of like an extra large amount of work. And this is why like, there's these pieces of it that make it complex. And then like talking to a product manager or the designer and the team to be like, well, could we chip away at that? Like, maybe we don't need to do this part, this like part of it that makes it more complex. Could we reduce the complexity this way? And then you start having those like good conversations with your team.
0: Yeah, I'm a fan of the t shirt sizing, especially right off the bat of like, hey, we're gonna go look at this effort because you are having that conversation. If say it is a product manager who's, you know, typically running the strategy of like what types of features are invested in, you know, we're talking a lot about a product here, and they see, oh, that's an extra large, you know, for that piece, they might be like, Oof, that's not worth it, right? And so right then and there you can start to have a conversation. And I, I'm a huge fan of that. Or, oh, that's really small. And like we could absolutely get that done quickly. You just kind of get everyone on an equal footing or thinking about those and having those conversations. And it, you had no dates there. You had no like, hey, we're starting tomorrow or quarters or anything. It's just literally, if we were to do this effort, it's an extra large, it's a small, it's you know, medium, whatever. And it gives people a little bit of uh, understanding of that.
1: Because I've had it like where the team would end up like talking, even like si- uh, size-based, like doing the Fibonacci sequence stuff for like Scrum, you know, like, oh, it's a one, it's a five, it's an eight. I've had uh, teams where we end up talking so much about the number that that's really not the important conversation it's like the important conversation is more about the feature and like how we're going to build it and what's the hard parts so or how are we going to test it though? Like that's the better conversation. So at one point, like we moved away from even the Fibonacci stuff because people are obsessing over numbers too much. And we went to like the t-shirt size because then we got into better discussions about the product and feature itself. And so I thought that was interesting.
2: I, I'm a big fan of t-shirt sizing as well because it's, it's a flexible measurement that's relative to your team. So like as a platform team, if I say something is Excel, that means it's probably going to take more than one quarter, probably need two engineers on it. There's a lot of investigation we need to do ahead of time to discover like how long is this actually going to take. Hence, it's an Excel because I know roughly it's going to be a hefty project. And that's relative to me and like the, the systems that I work on. Whereas if I come off with the small, I know that's less than two weeks. It's a well-scoped project. We know exactly what the problem is. We know exactly how long it's going to take. Those are pretty rare uh we end up more in medium large categories where we're like uh we're not sure but we don't think it's going to take more than a quarter but yeah plus one on t-shirt sizing and uh plus plus 10 on spending too much time planning to plan uh it can just it seems like you're being productive but you're really not and it's like a trap you fall into you're like oh but we're we're planning we'll have such a clean well-polished roadmap, uh which that I never happens. In, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I I do not believe in well polished roadmaps if you're doing things correctly, because things are gonna go wrong. Like uh I think one of my favorite quotes is uh Mike Tyson, which is like everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face. Uh you know, <laughs> which is which is true. Like it's a it's a beautiful plan until the CEO has some good idea or the PM comes in or marketing changes directions and says, like, hey, we need this, and you know, that's just how it goes. And you have to kind of build that into your planning where it's loose enough to have to give the team an idea about what they should be doing next and what their priority is but flexible enough that things don't collapse if you suddenly have to pull this project because some other priority came in
0: yeah flexibility is key i agree with you Jem. like the full roadmap that's like all perfectly planned spent months planning doesn't make sense to me at all it's it ends up being really confusing too or you've spent so much time doing it instead of executing and learning as you go, like, cause to your point, you need to be flexible to pivot. Um, It doesn't even have to be a request from anyone. It can literally be, you know, learning something in your product that like customers aren't even, they're not even down with this feature or they're like, they're not using it or it's not the right thing. And it may, might still be the right thing, but you have to pivot a little bit in how you approach that. But if you have this perfectly curated roadmap, like that doesn't really leave room for any iterations or thinking like outside because you just didn't, you can't account for those things that you learn as you go. We kind of touched on this a little bit too, but like we mentioned that it, it helps with planning. Cheers. Cheers. Why why is it helpful to estimate your work?
3: I think, I think we touched on it in terms of prioritization, um, but I'll speak to a practical example that I've seen in companies, especially like my organization, which is very money focused um, you know, we're part of the monetization org, you know, your project, um, that time you spend working on that project could be working on another project that makes money. And there's, there's an actual trade-off there now, right. Where if I come back and and this is why sometimes there's pressure, even on um, engineering to say, Hey, we really need to like figure this out for quarterly planning. Like whether this project is like, can we do it within a quarter or does it look like a whole year kind of thing or or two quarters or whatever because if you're going to if that's the case we might not want to do this project right now because there's these other projects that can be done in less than a quarter and they'll make like maybe less but more than half of what that project would make and so it might be within the company's best interest to let's just focus on that first so yeah definitely definitely it's super important Um, for your stakeholders to be aware of the estimates.
0: Yeah, I think it's like, even to your point, Augusta's, like, yours is definitely monetary, so it's, like, easy to kind of measure that, but I think at the end of the day, even if it's not monetary, it's like, what's the impact? And I think sometimes a, you know, a small effort could be really large impact, and maybe that large, extra-large estimate could still be very impactful, but you're like trading off against your portfolio of work. Like there, you can't get it all done. I, I I don't think that teams are getting all the work done. You have to prioritize. So I I like that you called that out. Do you all use tools that help you? I I, I gotta admit, I've tried so many different tools for prioritizing or for estimates. But I'm curious what you all use.
3: Okay, I wanna. I swear, Stacy didn't pay me to say this, but I I personally. Um, so so I know t-shirt sizing is amazing and plus one to what Stacy said you know whatever the team feels the most comfortable in that's what you should use you know there's so many different ways uh, my team uses story points um, and we we learned that Jira I don't know when they launched it but they have this thing called agile poker or this basically it's a way for you to like get into virtually on the Jira board and you can estimate and That feature was really, really helpful during COVID when we were all remote because uh, someone who's like the moderator can select the ticket that they're estimating and people who put the estimate that they think it is, JIRA will auto-populate, hey, here are all these other tickets you've estimated with that story point value. And it kind of gives that person like a quick glance at, oh, wait, is this the same amount of work as that other ticket or these other tickets? And kind of just kind of level sets them and put some accountability on like understanding, is this the right estimate? So, so that, that's been such a um, awesome tool that we've used.
1: Yeah, definitely. I don't use Jira at the moment, but uh, I have quite a bit. And yes, we've done all, all those kinds of like strict scrum, very like Fibonacci sequence, the story points, um, we've done the t-shirt sizing thing. Um, right now the team I'm on, we were using Trello just cause we're building Trello. So it's good to like quote dog food or, you know, eat, use the thing that you're building. Um, so we were using more of sort of that Kanban style approach with the Trello board. And then, um, we actually had, an agile tools power up that um, the community, someone in the community built, which um, added stuff to Trello cards. So you could put story points on them um, and you could see, you could get some reporting and stuff out of it, like um, make it a little bit more robust, I guess, than what you get out of the box um, with Trello. But uh, I might be switching teams soon and I might be back in Jira and we might be doing um, some more sophisticated tooling to to do that process.
2: Dog Dogfooding Jira, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess as you said it best, uh, use whatever the team is comfortable with. So we, I don't know, we kind of mix it up. I just use Google Docs and I make a, a big table and I estimate it and then it's up to the individual uh, informed captains of the project to track things the way they want. As long as it's progressing in a way and there's like evidence they're, they're moving towards these like well-formed well milestones, then I don't have a problem with it. Uh, we, we collectively do not like Jira. I, I think it's just like you, you really have to, as a team, like all buy in or not. And if like one person's doing it and no one else is, it's kind of a waste. And I don't know. I'm not, I'm fine with it if we were all going to do it. Right? But I don't know. Jira does not have a lot of love in my part of the world.
0: I think Jira across the board is no one's like loves loves Jira, but I I think you've said it well in the sense that it is a very powerful tool when everyone is using it. It's great. I've worked in agile environments that are, you know, using it for story points and and this is this is a long time ago that I think of when we were really following Jira. And so I'm sure there's even a lot of new features that I couldn't even speak to. But I've still used it at my time at Netflix, but I find that not every team uses it at Netflix, like some teams do some some people do it's like a mix, but I think the power is when you're all using a tool and understanding it, and I think that's where JIRA really works well, similar gem i've I've seen it all in in like the last few years. I've seen like spreadsheets, Google Docs, what else we've definitely seen Trello boards, Airtable airtable, yeah, that was another one, yes,
2: um, uh, coda Monday. I, we have like the spread across Netflix on like what people want to use.
0: And I think I'm all for it. It's like, don't, don't fight on what, you know, what's best for the team. Like Augusta said, I think you all have to understand it though, too. Because sometimes I have seen it where like someone spins up their own version of a spreadsheet or a Google doc that you're like, but we kind of already have that. And it was just because they didn't fully understand it. They're like, oh, I needed more of a Gantt chart. And you're like, okay, but. Now we have to have two moments of truth and like, that's not good either. So I think that's one thing I would say is like, pick one. Don't, don't try and do multiple tools. I'd be curious, like we maybe touched this a little bit. Why is estimating so hard? Like, you know, we, I don't think I've ever given a perfect estimate. There's always something that comes up or there's something, there's always something that I didn't account for, but I'm I'm curious. Do you all have this problem or it's just me?
2: Stacy said it best uh, earlier in the episode where, uh, Stacy, I believe you said, if, if we can get a perfect estimate on something, then we could just automate it. We wouldn't need engineers to solve yeah. the problem. It would, just be a, it would just be a service or a tool we use and make the thing and we're all done. Uh, that's why estimating is hard, is we live in imperfect worlds with imperfect systems, with imperfect people who have a different idea of coding and naming and uh, the right patterns or the wrong patterns, and how to communicate it, and all all sorts of variables that go into uh, software engineering. Hence, you know, estimating is difficult. You're you're guessing at best, and no one's ever got this right. I think people have tried many many times, but the the fact is, at the end of the day, we're all humans with our you know uh, our flaws, which which make us beautiful, but also make it difficult to uh, put us in a box that is easy to understand. So, I can say personally on my side, some things that go into um, what make espying difficult on a platform team is a technical debt. Every platform team carries some version of technical debt, some some amount of it. It's never zero, it'll never be zero. Uh, if a platform team had zero technical debt, I'd question if they're spending their time correctly. It's kind of just a trade off we make. Um, but part of that technical debt is discovery. And I, I mentioned this earlier in. The episode and a good friend of ours, uh, Aaron, Aaron Lurch, who also works in Netflix, he introduced me to the concept of the hill chart. And a hill chart is essentially when you have a really big project, there's a it's a hill. So picture a hill in your head. And then picture a dividing line at the apex of that hill, so at the top. So you think in a perfect world, there's a hill, and then in the middle, you climb up to the top, and then at the on the other side is the execution. So the first part of the hill the climbing up the hill is discovery. The second part going down the hill is the execution. So in your mind, you're like, oh, it's a perfect, beautiful, rounded hill. Everything makes sense. We can perfectly estimate how long it's going to take to get there. But in the real world, especially on a uh, working platform where you're dealing with these really massive systems, sometimes the hill is skewed. Sometimes the hill is, goes all the way to the left or all the way to the right. Sometimes the discovery phase, like finding out what the problem is can take the entire quarter. And then the execution is actually really short. You're like, oh, really? It's just a library change or something like that. Sometimes it's really, really short. Like the, the discovery is like, here's the problem. We need to fix it. But the execution, it turns out, is really complicated because everybody using your platform had some sort of different implementation, which you now have to standardize. So that's why I, I, I like the visualization of the hill chart. And it, I tell it, I share it to my team to let them know like, I understand the discovery part is really difficult, like trying to find out what the actual problem is you need to solve can take a long time too, but that's part of the work and we have to estimate that as well. Uh, The other one is support. We we spend a good portion of our time supporting the engineers using our platform. So we can't tell you week to week how much that support is going to cost or what it's going to take. Hence estimating is really difficult. And that's just me in my one corner of the universe. Uh, on why estimating is difficult, I am sure everybody has their own stories and uh, uh, <laughs> maybe bad stories of why estimating can be difficult.
3: I'll 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 call out two that come to mind. One is across uh, team dependencies or initiatives that may come up. So you and it, it depends. You know, maybe if you're a startup, this doesn't happen as often, but definitely at big companies, if you're working on a feature that may touch or involve multiple teams. Like coordinating with those teams on their different parts, um, and you know all the different discussions of like what can what can get done by their team, what can get done by your team? Does your team need to pick it up? Then all of a sudden, your engineers have to absorb. How do I work in this new code base? Um, sometimes the other team might have some initiative. Oh, we're going to refactor this entire. Uh, flow that you were very dependent on and we were hoping to hit this date of finishing the migration. So that, that it's like, it's interesting because, you know, maybe you're not estimating those exact pieces of work, but it affects timelines, which is what a lot of people care about. So that's definitely made things hard. Um, So I'll be honest, I've even been on projects where sometimes the team is so busy (laughs) that you have to estimate the work that is on their side. And you have to pair with an engineer there, really understand uh, what's going on. So that's a huge leap of complexity. The other thing, um, actually, Ryan, uh, I love what you said about um, uh, when you commented to Jem about having people write a formal intake of, or ticket of what they want. You would be surprised how many times requirements get missed. Um, And it can be such a nightmare to not to like, untangle what the what the correct requirements are Um, and that is like such an important part of the estimation process working with the stakeholders the product manager like what do they really want Um, there have been so many times i've worked with a pm and you know not blaming not blaming anyone but i've worked with so many pms that have said oh we want to like redesign this feature we want everything that it does today and then we want these new set of features and they kind of think everything that it does today is the requirement and that is a good enough. But uh, I'll just speak for, as an engineer, there's a lot to unpack in that requirement. Like there might be all these different things that is done today that I have to kind of dig and chase and might be things that can't be supported in the new, in the new feature. It might conflict with the new feature that you're requesting. So that's like sometimes a bunch of stuff that has to be unpacked.
0: Yeah. And I'm so glad you called out dependencies, Augustus. Like, I think that that is oftentimes one of the hardest things is you're working with other teams or other engineers, or even just working microsystems, man, that like, you just, you understand yours, but you don't understand the one next to you, but you rely on it. And something may need to change on that end. And there's contracts and there's all these things that, it just becomes very complicated and it, it you know gets back to no project is the same. It's always very unique. So I'm really glad you called that one out because I feel like anytime it is outside of your own team or own code base, it just becomes a lot more complex. And it's already complex in your own code base. I I know that, but adding more onto that just makes it even harder.
1: There's a couple of things about the estimates I found hard over my career, and, and some of them are. Like we talk a lot about people but you know if you put a junior engineer who's still maybe learning the code base and learning patterns and learning libraries and learning frameworks and trying to piece all these things together um, if they were to build something out that estimates going to be very different from someone who maybe is already familiar with the code base has a bunch of experience using the framework already um, has built something kind of similar before you know, it has that history, like that estimate would be very different. So it's really hard to have an estimate for something that's universal across people's experience. You have to like come together as a team and figure out like, what is your team capable of in a time frame. And that's, that, that's where you have to like, Oh, well we need to set up time to make sure we have mentoring or we pair program, or we do stuff together to move things forward. And all of that is why estimates are hard because like, how do you estimate how long pairing is going to need to happen for someone to become super efficient? Like that's not a thing you can really estimate because it's humans and learning. Um, So anyway, that, that I found, that's something that's been very difficult. And then the other thing I find really difficult and Gem, I think this is something I found interesting about your comments about platform stuff. Sometimes I would imagine, especially at Netflix, you're, you're maybe building something that doesn't exist in the industry. Like there, there is no prior art. There's no example that of something someone's built just like this before. So it's total R&D. And how do you estimate how long something's going to take if you have absolutely no idea? And I think that's where you have to start doing, you know, spikes or maybe what you were talking about, Jem, the discovery thing. Maybe you're like doing experiments and trying to figure out, how to get your head around the problem but like that takes time too so that's why it's all i think quite hard
0: <laughs> oh yeah like i think like even sometimes having a deliverable of literally investigating is is should be part mm-hmm. of that right where you're like yeah we have to investigate or evaluate options right because maybe it's implementing a new library or something you should be doing a little bit of that like r d which will help you hopefully tighten up a little bit more on the estimate but it's yeah it's never perfect i love that you almost called out to paired programming gem you called out support a lot of those things it's really hard to estimate for you know support if you're on support for a week i would just almost say like yeah you're probably not getting much work done like or if it's a day or i don't know how long support lasts for each team but you kind of just have to chalk that up as you're like i'll be lucky to get some work done but then also accounting for vacations people aren't really always good about that either, or meeting heavy days. And so you kind of have to throw that into your mix of thinking about is like, how much realistic time do I actually have working on said project? So yeah, I think those are all really good call outs. Before we dive into picks, we've talked a lot about estimates here, which is awesome. But I would love leaving the listeners with one piece of advice. What would you each say to help improve your estimates moving forward?
2: I'd say, don't forget to bake in time for tests. That is so often overlooked where they're like, I can deliver to project X. I'm like, oh, did you include all the tests you have to write in there? And they're like, no. I'm like, let's go and throw another week or two on there. Just just in case. Uh, And QA in general, people often miss that. So don't forget to include testing and, and QA in your project estimates.
1: Yeah, and, and we kind of joked a little bit about the like buffer, like take your estimate and double it and padding or whatever. But in some ways, it's not a joke that like, you do need some wiggle room and some space to, to to account for the things that pop up that you didn't, they were unforeseen and you weren't um, sure about until you got into it more. So you do need some of that. So it's like, Take your optimism bias and make sure you're put a little pessimism in there just just to give yourself a little space so you can think and, and, and iterate and like handle those unforeseen things.
3: I'll say, uh, you know, sometimes when you're given a project to help estimate, you kind of just want to estimate it yourself and go with that. And I think it's really important to make sure that the team is involved in the estimation process it's not only like a really good thing for like onboarding and helping the team build this shared mental model of like how much effort certain tasks are, but you'd be surprised how often someone will catch something that was missed. This actually recently happened for a project that I was planning. I had the requirement defined and someone just asked a pretty basic question like, oh, how will this requirement get fulfilled if we're doing it this way? And I had a last minute realization, like, oh my gosh, it wouldn't. I totally missed this. And it, it was like, it's better those things are kind of caught early on, you know?
1: I guess it's like you're saying, like, not just the happy path or, you know, like, everything's yeah. working perfectly. There's, you know, the user's doing exactly what we expect them to do. It's like, you have to account for like error states and how do people recover from things not going right? And, like That kind of stuff you should think about too.
0: Wow. All great advice. I mean, I got two little points here for you. Don't let your manager estimate for you. I'm going to call it out as a manager, but like I have been there where managers are making the estimates for the team. And I think that that's probably not the best. They should be getting input from their team. And then when I've ever approached tackling like an estimate, I want to buy myself time to actually look at what I'm trying to solve, but really breaking it down into smaller chunks. I find that that's really useful too, is like thinking about a problem, not as the deliverable, but like, what are the pieces that get me to that deliverable? So that's always, I've found still not perfect, but it's got me closer, or at least I've felt better about how I've broken down the project and been able to estimate it. Cool. Well, Let's jump into picks. Uh, in each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we love to share picks of things that we found interesting and just want to share with all of you.
1: Stacy, you want to start it off? Sure. Two music picks today. The first one is uh, a song called Bala Rocky by Manai Um, They're percussionists and composers. Um, I think they're partners or spouses. Um, together, they kind of create... A lot of uh, percussive things mixed with contemporary instrumental music and synths. Um, so that's a really great, really great song. I've been listening to that on repeat. And the second pick is Glycerine by Allison Lorenzen and Midwife. And it's actually a cover. It was originally written by Gavin Rossdale. Uh, I was wondering. And that, book. Like, yeah. Yes. Nice. In like
0: 1994
1: or five. Um, yeah, super old song. I don't know whether or not you like Bush or not. It's a whole other yeah, discussion, but um, I thought the this is like a slowcore cover of it, and it's really chill and kind of sad and lamenty, and but um, it's really well done. I liked it a lot, so check it out.
2: Very cool, Gem. What do you have for us? I also immediately thought of the Bush song when I because I was like, that's not a common phrase you ever hear in a, in a song. So I guess we're just dating <laughs> ourselves here. Yeah, <laughs> I have two picks uh, for this episode. The first one is a show on Netflix that I started watching. i binged entirely through it. It's called Physical 100. It's a Korean show, and it, it answers that question that we've all been asking. Who's really more fit, a wrestler or a gymnast? No. Uh, it, it takes a variety of people from a probably the widest backgrounds uh, that I've ever seen, like cyclists and gymnasts and wrestlers and crossfitters and rock climbers and you name it there's like someone there uh bodybuilders things like that and it like puts them head to head in competitions and it's always surprising because you're always like oh i know who's gonna win this particular competition but like you just you really don't know there are things like endurance and strength and all these other things that go into it once you start watching and you can get over the really um, i think it's a uh it, it, it's endemic of like Korean TV that I've noticed where they tend to stretch things out a lot more than American television. Squid Game is a good example where they like really, really like you could just cut to the chase five minutes earlier. But if you can get past that, Physical One Hundred is a great binge because you're always like, who's going to win next? This person or this person? Anyways, I, I really enjoyed that. Probably one of the more enjoyable shows that I've watched. My second pick is Valley Silicon Pick, and I have to clarify because I was speaking with someone the other day and they're like. Oh, how did you like that uh f- that Lomi food composter that you made in a- another episode? And I'm like, wait, you think my Valley Silicon picks are just reviewing things that I bought? They're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, <laughs> man. I thought by my tone, I thought that, I thought that was really clear, <laughs> <laughs> but apparently not. So, dear listeners, friend, and happy hour regulars, <laughs> time for my Valley Silicon pick, where I pick things that are ridiculous and too expensive, and they only exist because we here in Sil- uh, Silicon Valley get paid too much money. And I have not purchased any of these things. So this next Valley Silicon pick comes courtesy of Andrew from Twitter. Thank you for the heads up on this one. So I have to ask you all, Augustus, Ryan, Stacy. have you ever been like, you know, I've got my water bottle, but I also wanna work out or do a dance or something. How am I gonna record this? Has that ever happened to you?
0: <laughs> yes, all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, today's pick for the low, low price of $80, you can get the Ringo. It is a regular water bottle, but it has a magnetic clamp on the top. So you can put your iPhone to record whatever you're doing. And like, I don't know, there's, there's, that's it. There, There's not really more detail to go into there other than it's, it's a water bottle with a magnet on it. And it's $80. <laughs> so you can record your next TikTok dance or something like that. I I don't know. I I don't know why (laughs) this exists. Teach teach their own, you know? (laughs) This isn't like super expensive in Valley Silicon terms. So, you know, it's it's on you, but I don't know. I guess you could
0: watch Netflix while you're running or on the treadmill. I don't know.
2: I'm just like, you could just lean your phone against the water bottle and it would accomplish the exact same thing. So I don't really understand why this exists. But hey, you know, that's why it's Valley Silicon. And those are my picks.
0: Right on. Augustus, what do you have for us?
2: Yes.
3: Uh, I have two picks.
2: One is um,
3: a case study of Windows XP. Um, and it's just a quick case study article of the guy who made the Windows XP logo and kind of his explorations of like the old Windows logos. And he just talks about some of the design challenges or the feel that they were trying to go for. So. I, I've, I always love, like, reading these kind of case studies of how they make the logo of what you eventually see, you know, because there's a lot of thought that goes into it. So, yeah, check it out. And then my second pick is um, a WebKit blog post of Web Push being enabled for web apps on iOS and iPad, I think, in 16.4. And, um, yeah, the article speaks for itself, but this is just, like, such a huge... Um, update to have notifications available for web apps. Like, I, I think that was like one of the biggest things that like native apps had. And well, of course, among many other things, but like being able to have notifications for web apps is like such a huge thing.
2: For those who don't know, Safari was the last holdout on PWAs, progressive web apps. They, they've taken forever to implement it. So it's really great that they're finally implementing Web Push. But it's like years later, like yeah. years later behind everybody else. So I don't know. It's a win for the web. Uh right, good good pick, I guess this.
0: All right. I have two picks, not related on the topic at all, but we have talked about chat GBT in quite a few episodes this year already. I found a really great article. I mean, it goes in depth, but it talks about what ChatGBT is doing and why it works. It goes into depth. Like, I don't even know if I finished the entire article, but it it was really interesting. Definitely worth checking out if you want to better understand how the AI is working. And then my second pick is, one, I don't know that I would normally pick, but I realized that everybody's working remote. More and more people are using mics. We use it for the podcast. But I recently switched to an arm that kind of goes from the behind the desk and over. It's the Elgato mic arm LP m- mic stand. I really am enjoying it. I like it a lot. I can just kind of pull it when I need it, shove it aside when I don't need it. My hands are still available to type and then I don't have a mic in my face which is kind of nice. So I'm really liking that. i um, been using that for a couple months now. So that's all I have for this episode. Thank you all for listening to our episode. Hopefully we've helped you estimate a little bit better. Uh, it's still hard. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, you can really find us on whatever you like to listen podcasts on. Follow us on Twitter at front FrontNHH. Any last words?
1: We should have been planning our last line.